Open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. There are two ways that I preach. Good and bad. No, that was a dumb joke. There's two ways that I preach. Uh, when it comes to the Word of God, we do one of two things. We either go through just a couple of verses, and we, we, we hit it with a magnifying glass, and we get every detail. Or, when there is a, a bigger thought, the thought is too big to just dissect. When Paul or different writers of the Bible have a, a, a big chunk of scripture that just can't be taken apart, then we take it and I go with the highlights, the big points, the big ideas. That's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture and pulling out the big idea behind it. We're going to be talking a lot about the law of God, which is always a sticky situation because our mind, our human nature wants to pursue the law. You might say, no, I don't. The law sounds really strict and blah, blah, blah. We love rules. We have this false sense of, this false idea that, that if we have absolute freedom, we'll be okay. But the truth of the matter is, is that we actually thrive within boundaries. We actually become better at certain things when we know our limitations. Some exploit that. And they use that to lord, them, you know, to lord over other people, to be over other people, to exploit uh, whatever it might be, whether they're, their physical strength or their mental strength. And, uh, and just in our human nature, we want to know the parameters in which we can operate. So we find the law and say, okay, we can do this, we can't do that, and that will make me right with the Lord. Now, see, the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ smashes that to pieces. It takes that human mindset, destroys it, and then replaces God's mind or God's idea, God's, God's gospel message that no matter how closely you might follow the law, you'll never follow it 100%. Thus, you will fall short of the glory of God and need a savior. Praise be to God that we have a savior. His name is Jesus. No matter what is taught or preached here today, never lose sight of the fact that there is one, his name is Jesus. It is he we serve. It is he that we follow. You know, we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's who we are following. Everything that I will say to you today, I want you to put it up to the word of God. The word of God is like a filter, if you will. If you have a, 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 a colander or a sieve or a, a strainer and you run something through it, it catches all the things that are too big for the holes in that container, right? The Bible's much the same way. If it's truth, it goes through. If it is not, we've got to chuck it. We've got to get rid of it. If it's not truth, that means it's false. If it's not truth, that means that we can't really build a solid foundation or we can't build a solid house upon that foundation. Our foundation is Jesus. He is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. He is, everything we build up after that starts with Jesus and the word of God and we build up from there. And if what we build ends up being shoddy, then we tear it down, we start over again. And we do so with joy. I don't know about you, but when I find out that what I've been uh, understanding is wrong, I, I don't regret it. I actually, I am filled with joy that now I get to tear down what I thought was true and rebuild again that I'm no longer following after a, a, a bad teacher or a, uh, a, a slightly wrong teaching or a bad understanding that, oh, I found the truth. Jesus said the truth sets you free. The truth might make you mad, but it's going to set you free too. 
So turn to the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. I'm praying today that the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ will set you free from the bondage of religion. As you turn there, like I said, human nature says there must be some religious activity I must do. There must be some prayer, some, some, some scripted prayer I have to say. If I say this prayer, then God will bless me. If I say it on this day, then God will bless me. And really what they're thinking or saying is I won't hurt. There will be no pain. There will be no struggle. Church, I don't know about you, but I just look around life and I see, you know what? Life has pain. Life has struggle. Sometimes there are choices to be made and they're simple. Sometimes there are choices to be made and they're going to change and alter the course of your life for a very long time. And the last thing we want to do is avoid that. We want to embrace that. We want to move forward in that. We want to see the truth of Jesus revealed through it. I, I don't know about you, but I find more of Jesus when I struggle than when things are going easy. I might praise him, you know, when things are easy, but I understand him more in the struggle. I understand uh, his promises. They mean that much more to me when I am actually afflicted rather than, rather than just easing through life. And truth be told, those times are much more brief than the times where there's pain and struggle. But see, there's this promise that, and we'll get to this in Galatians chapter six, I believe, that the fruit of the spirit is joy. One of the fruits of the spirit is joy. It's joy in the midst of pain and suffering. It's joy in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Church, I'm here to preach to you a message today that will mature you. If you embrace it, if you will, if you will apply it and, and believe and have faith in Jesus, it will cause you to grow. As a kid, maybe, maybe this is not the same for you, but for me, there were those moments growing up where I shifted from child to early adult. And I still have those moments, but I shifted from, from understanding things as a kid to understanding things as a young adult. Things like discussions between my parents about paying the rent. Oh, you know, as a kid, I'd see my dad go cash his check on a Friday because he's a blue collar working guy, got paid week to week. And I'd be like, dad's rich. Oh man, did you see how much money the bank guy just gave him? Oh, we're going to go to McDonald's. I'm going to get a toy. Dad's loaded. As I got older, I realized, oh, a lot of that's already going out to other people. <laughs> the government's already taken part of it. And then there's got to be rent, uh, the rent has got to be paid, and electricity that's got to be paid, and the gas has got to be paid. Oh, and the car doesn't run on magic. We got to put gas in that too. And so there's all these different things that money was already allocated to. And that causes you to grow a little bit. Like, oh, okay, I can't have this kid mentality that every dollar that went into my dad's pocket is for fun and sugar and candy, that, every, that all that's got to go to different places so that I can survive so I can have a, a roof over my head, so I can be warm and have clothing and go to school and, and, and be fed. You know, it causes you to grow. This message is much the same. You're, hopefully, my hope is, my prayer is, that you will go from maybe a, a, a lack of understanding of Jesus to a little bit better so that you mature and grow. If you've ever met a child who is stunted in their growth, in their maturity, and you usually find them in their 20s and 30s and 40s, it's never very appealing, is it? When you see a 20, 30, 40 year old man or woman acting like a seven, eight, and nine year old child, it's never very appealing. And it's not the, the lifestyle we desire. And it's not so bad when you're seven, eight, and nine, but once you grow up, I mean, it's time to grow up. 
I am probably the biggest kid in this place. There's a time for joking. There's a time for being, having fun. There really is. But when it comes to matters that are serious, there's a time to mature as well. I'm hoping you do that today. I'm hoping that for however long I get to minister here, those of you who come alongside this church and grow with us, that we continue to grow every day. That every day would be this process of sanctification where we get to know Jesus more and more every day. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Big chunk of scripture, something like 14 verses. Starting in verse 15 says, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, or after this promise, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so, that, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 19 says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions or because of sin, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Big verse there, by the way, verse 22. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you uh, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is good. Your word is great. Your word is, is everything. And, and we as faulty humans, Lord, we struggle with it. It's not something we naturally are inclined to, but I'm praying today for a supernatural miracle that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us your word, that we may better understand it, that we may know you more, that our relationship may blossom, that our, that our faith would become more public, that we would live the gospel every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Big chunk of scripture, okay? Highlights. The highlights really are found in verses 26 through 29, or 28. 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This is a big idea in all of the gospels, in all of the New Testament, that God is a father. And that as a father, he has come to the spiritual orphanage in which we lived in prior to Christ. And he has decided of his own free will out of love to adopt us as his children. This makes a world of difference in how you see the world and how you see God and how you see others and how you see yourself. 
our nation, specifically our culture, and even more specifically, our own little small region here struggles with identity. I was talking to, uh, last night at our Saturday night service, um, we had a teenager there and I was talking to him about how when I was a kid, back in my day, right? Because I'm 36, I'm going to be 36, so I can say that now. Back in my day, uh, we would, there were these shoes. They were called pumps. Remember those? They were by Reebok. You could pump them to make them tighter around your feet and then you'd play better basketball. It didn't matter that you were five foot and weighed 160 pounds. You'd play better basketball. So you get these pumps. The problem with the pumps, I mean, you see the commercials, oh, I can have the pumps. Mom, dad, give me the 125, $150 for a pair of tennis shoes. If you grew up in my household, the only way you got a pair of $125 shoes if there was a, is if there was $105 in the sole of them. Okay? That's my funny way of saying $20 is probably the limit. But see, it's, it's grown to such a place right now where there are teens right now in our high schools that wear shoes that cost upwards of $300. Do you know what they do with them then? They ruin them and they ride on them. And they got to get off my lawn. Oh, sorry, I don't know where I went with that. But $300, do you know why? Because they have been sold through media, commercials, video games, internet, social media, friends, peer pressure, that if you have those shoes, those $300 shoes that have that basketball player's name on it or that person's name on it, then you are an individual. You are somebody. And they get the shoes and, ah, oh, I've got them. This is who I am. Me and LeBron James are cut from the same cloth. I got his shoes and I'm like him. This is my identity. And all that's happened is that through marketing, big companies have learned that if someone will identify with a product and make that part of their identity, they will become loyal to it and they will pay through the nose for it. And so now some of the older ones are like, that's ridiculous. Those kids in their shoes, I would never do that. How many of you would never drive a Ford? Dan, put your hand down. How many of you would never drink Pepsi over Coke? How many of you would only buy a Mac over a PC? I'm in that group. How many of you, and that's a good one, that one's okay. <laughs> How many of you would, you know, only shop at this store? You'd never shop at that store, only this store. See, we're all prey to this. Because we find identity in these external things and then we can say, this is who I am. And you know what happens? Those things come and go. Those things are so fleeting. Those things are so temporal. Those things, it's not that they're wrong or right. They're just fleeting. Is it wrong to pay $300 for a pair of shoes? Unless there's $280 in the soles of them, that's what I would say. No, I mean, I mean yes, it is wrong. But does that make you evil person? No. Is it wrong to buy them so that you can increase your identity, that you, can, that you can have an identity? Yes. Yes, it is. See, our identity is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. As a child of God, we have been adopted into this family. Imagine yourself as a, see, now some of you might struggle with this, but some of you, um, you watch the commercial with the Sarah McLaughlin song, 
with the dogs and you see them that they need to be adopted and you totally understand that. You see these poor puppies, these poor pit bulls, these poor, poor whatever, they're behind a cage and they got the eyes and you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta take them all. Amen. <laughs> Pray for the Paredes household and the amount of dogs we have. You see, we get it. But when it comes to our own identity, we don't. See, when you adopt a child, that child doesn't come into your family as an outsider and say, okay, you, you, know, you have different quarters, you have different uh, modes of doing things. No, you adopt them in. They become your child. They, if you have other children biologically, they become brothers and sisters. Their new identity now is in that family. It's not here's my family and that kid. It's here's my family. We all have the same last name. Oh. Sermon's a lot funnier over there, I guess. And that changes everything. When you have an adopted child who's adopted, whether it's from our country or from a third world country or whatever, it changes their entire future, doesn't it? We've had friends who have adopted from China and adopted from Russia, and I can only believe that those, those kids' futures changed dramatically because they went from being an orphan to being a part of a family. Now take that and blow it up and amplify it by like a bazillion. And that is what it's like for us as orphans spiritually to be adopted into the family of God. God did not choose you because he had to. God chose you because he wanted to. God has called you to his grace, or through his grace rather, to repentance. See, a lot of us get the, we throw the religion in there. I got to repent so I'll receive the grace of God. No, no, you've received the grace of God. Now repent. You see, God, is, God has already sent Jesus to die for your sins. God has already extended grace to you through that. Now it's time to repent and give your life to Jesus, to commit yourself to him. And what Paul is just doing his best, I can only imagine him pulling his hair out as he writes these words. You've gone from the promise to the law. You've gone from the, the promise which brings life to the law that brings death. You know what the law is good for? Damning us to hell. Because it points out to us what we do wrong. Paul said sin came because of transgressions. Did sin exist before the law? Yes. We're in this mess because Adam and Eve sinned way before the law was ever given. Paul points out also that this promise that Abraham, that he'd look up at the sky and see the stars and, and if he could count those, that would be the numbers of his descendants. Same thing with the grains of sand in the sea. That if he could count that, that would be the numbers of, of his descendants. That that promise predated the law by 430 years. Going back to the shoes and the Chevys and the Fords and the individuality, that's really what we've been sold, that we can be individuals. But we can all be individuals just like everybody else. Do you see the trap in that? You can be an individual just like everybody else. That's not being an individual, is it? That's just being part of a herd. See, the Bible calls us not to rogue Christianity or individual Christianity, but collective Christianity. Yes, we're saved individually. My sins were atoned for on the cross. Your sins were atoned for on the cross. But we've been called to something much bigger. Paul says that the promise was not made to the offsprings, 
It gets very detailed. He says, not to the offsprings, or not to, uh, let's put it in our own, our own modern day uh, vernacular, not to the children, but to the child, to the offspring, singular. The promise is that an offspring would come and his name is Jesus. As you become a Christian, you are found in Christ. Big mega theme of the Bible. Read the book of Romans, read the rest of the book of Galatians. You find that term in Christ continuously. In Christ, as you were in Christ, you were part of something much bigger. It's called the church. In the same way that a grain of sand makes up a beach, a Christian, a person who is in Christ, makes up the body of Christ, singular. In the same way that a star in the sky makes up the universe, something so much bigger, a Christian makes up the church. See, you're called individually, but you're also called collectively to go and to show and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone and anyone you can. We are going to spend ourselves here at this place in any way that we can. I'm a big believer that if you have something well that you do, do that. But until we discover what that is, we're going to do a bunch of different things. We're going to have services on Saturday night. We're going to go out into the streets. We're going to print up things to share. We're going to put a bunch of stuff on social media. And we're just going to throw it all up there and see what sticks. And after some months and maybe even years of research and developing and knowing the community and knowing the needs of our culture, then we'll see what actually works and that's what we will do. And we will continuously work at that because we want everybody to know Jesus. Will everybody know Jesus? Probably not. But I guarantee you, the more we share him, the more the kingdom of God will grow. <clears throat> Galatians, well, 3 and 15. Let's go back a little bit. Paul says, I'll give you an earthly example or a human example. Psalms 19 and 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. God is not limited to speaking to us through primarily just his word, although it is, although it is the, the biggest way, the strongest way, the most reliable way. But God will speak to you through many examples, through life circumstances. You know, I didn't understand God the Father and God the Son until uh, as much as I did once I had a son. I understood what it meant for a son to go and die when I saw my son perish, when I saw him live and then die. I remember looking down at him and thinking, if I could only save him, if I could only do something on his behalf that would take him from this, and I began to understand the gospel a little bit more. I began to see what Jesus has done for me in my life what he has done through the gospel, that he in fact is that son who has come and died for me. And so I learned more about him through everyday life. You see the sun in the sky, you see the birds chirping, you, you know, even the rain falling, even the, the dreaded snowfall that'll be here very shortly. We see the glory of God. We see it in Someone who comes and makes you a meal when you're sick. It's seen when a collection of people give money or give stuff to send to soldiers halfway across the world whom we may never meet. But we see the generosity of God in that. Here's what I want you to do. God is not in all things. 
Big words, pantheism, panentheism. God is the universe and God is in the trees. No, that's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that God will use everything and anything to teach you more about himself. And don't mute all of that. As Paul is saying, here's a, here's a human example, uh, a finite example of something infinite. Jesus did this all the time. Jesus used what we call parables, what the Bible calls parables. Hey, what's the kingdom of God like? See this mustard seed? God's not in the mustard seed. The kingdom of God's not in the mustard seed. We don't worship the mustard seed, but see the mustard seed? It's like the kingdom of God. You plant it, it grows into the biggest of all plants, bushes, whatever. Kingdom of God is like leaven mixed into the dough, makes it rise, makes it bigger. One of my favorite parables is the parable of the seed upon the path. The seed upon the soil. Jesus, in explaining how the word of God works, uses an analogy or a parable. Our heart is like soil and the word of God is like seed. We don't worship the soil. We don't worship the seed. God's not in those things, but this is a human example of something supernatural. He said there's four types of paths, or excuse me, four types of soil, rather. You've got the hard, compacted path that everybody's walked upon. You've got the stony ground, shallow earth, very little soil. You've got the the soil with thorns and briars and thistles, and then you've got the good soil. And the only one that the word of God thrives in is that good soil. That the, that, the, that, the, that the seed planted in that good soil not only bears fruit, but 30, 60, and 100 fold. The hard path, the birds come, take it away. Stony path, a little bit of roots, springs up quick, the sun kills it. Thorny, weed infested ground, the plants grow up, but it's choked out. But Jesus says those are the cares of life. But that good soil, oh man, when the word of God is given to a soft heart, it bears much fruit. Just a word of caution. If you've ever read the, read the book um, Crazy, uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan, he kind of goes into depth about this parable and just says, don't assume that you're the good soil. You got a one in four shot, 25% chance that you're the good soil. Those aren't betting odds, okay? You got to make sure that you got three against you and only one you want to be. Make sure you're, you are, 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 are staying pliable, that you're staying soft towards God, that you're allowing the word of God to pen- penetrate your heart and remove the things that need to be removed and, and, and blossom and grow into the things that he wants in your life. But that's just Jesus using seed and soil saying, hey, see these very finite things? Let me teach you about something infinite. Let me... Let me put into your little head something so big. Don't miss God speaking to you in something so natural, so, so simple, because he's there showing you continuously. I do this with my son all the time. If I see a teaching moment, I teach him. I do it with my daughter. See this, what we're happening here? What does, this, what does this look like? What do we see here? How do we see Jesus through this? God does the same thing. The promise is greater than the law. Here's where we struggle with the law. We, we want to do the law to be found approved by God. But here's, the, here's the good news. We've been approved by God because of Jesus. In your natural mind, that just doesn't make any sense, does it? Surely I must do something. Surely I must, I must give more or, or tithe more or serve more. Surely I must, I, I must uh, go and, and help this person or go on a missionary trip or, or I should do something. 
to be approved by God. That's religion. That's religion at its worst. Right now is the month of Ramadan in Islam, month-long period of fasting to be found approved by their God. Not our God, but by their God. Hopefully, hopefully this, this, this strict fasting will be enough of a sacrifice. That's religion, that's bondage. That's, that's not freeing anybody. We come to Jesus, we place our faith in him, our belief in him, and we are saved. Well, Pastor Tony, what do you mean by faith? I'll share with you now the only, really the only exclusive illustration I ever use that is not from personal experience. It, pastors, little behind the scenes secrets, pastors can look these up online. You can get, buy books filled with them. I just never was really into that. But I found one that really I latched onto, and this is it. So two men are at Niagara Falls. Tightrope around across Niagara Falls. Man with a wheelbarrow says to the other man, do you think I could push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls on this tightrope? Other man says, yeah, I think you could do it. And so the man with the wheelbarrow says, okay, get in the wheelbarrow. Let's go. That is the kind of faith that God is looking for. The one that gets into the wheelbarrow with Jesus to do and go into places that are seemingly never going to happen. From the outside, expressing faith and belief. Yeah, sure. Yeah, son of God. Get it. I got it. Tone for the sins. But to live that out daily is entirely different. To allow him to have full control of your life, completely different. It's like getting in the wheelbarrow. And that's why it's scary. Because you no longer have these safety nets all around you to catch you in case God falls down or God doesn't show up. The idea is that you've rested so heavily upon him, should he move, you would fall. Good news, not gonna move. God's there for the long haul. God has invested his son in you. You ever given a child a present so big? Like you give them the little stuff and it's like, okay, son, go have fun. Okay, daughter, go have fun. But then you buy them something that was an investment on your part. And you're like, okay, what are you doing with that? Where are you storing it? Where are you putting it away? Are you playing with it? Are your hands clean? Like you're invested. This costs you real hours and dollars. Like you really want to make sure they maintain and take care of it because you're invested. See, God has given you his son. The idea that he'd give you his son and then run away from you. No, he's given you his son. He's never going to leave you because he has given you that which is most valued to him. The idea that he's given you his son is proof that he is invested in you and wants you and, and is, is drawing you. And in doing so, you come into the body of Christ. Sunday mornings between 9.30 and 10.30 are one of my favorite times of the day of all of the week. Do you know why? Because I come to church and I meet with my friends. Some of us don't know each other that, that well, and that's okay. That will grow, that will blossom. But for some of us, we have become friends and it's just fun. You'll come in and you'll think we're, we're, we should be all serious back there and furrowing our brow and, and throwing Bibles open and getting ready and, and crying out to God. And, and we pray and we do stuff like that but we just, we're family. 
we're family. And you know what family, you know what my family does? We joke a lot. We tell a lot of funny stories about what happened during the week. We, we, we make fun of one another in love, right? Because this is a place where we become family. Our prayer this morning, we always meet in the kids' room to pray right before service. That was my prayer, that, that folks would come in here, that you would come in here, and you would feel like a part of a family rather than just going to church. Not in the weird cult, Jim Jones, Nike-wearing, Kool-Aid-drinking type of a way, because that's scary, and nobody's going down that avenue, okay? But in the way that you can come in and know that this is a place not only to be safe in worshiping the Lord, but that you're you know, in front of him, but you're safe amongst others. And many of you are meeting outside of church. I think that's awesome that your friendships and, and, and your family atmosphere is growing outside of the walls of church. I think that's amazing. I think that, that when you read the book of Acts and you read about the early church, they were meeting and they were eating and they were together and they were singing songs and they were just worshiping God in everything that they did. That's our goal here at this place, that it wouldn't just be a place of worship, it would be a place of family that worships together the risen son because we've been adopted into this family. And I want to challenge you today. Where is your identity placed? The Galatians place their identity in the law. They place their identity in the things that they could do. Paul's come back to just eradicate that and say, no, no, no. Your identity is found in what Jesus has done. Your identity is found in what God the Father has done through his son and now through his Holy Spirit. The promise was not to just the Jews who would consider themselves the offsprings of Abraham, that I was born into this lineage, thus I am saved or, or I am found righteous. It says, no, that promise was that an offspring would come. His name is Jesus. How many of you find your identity in something outside of Jesus? Let that be a red flag here today. One of the biggest dangers as a leader is, is me allowing people to do stuff. Because when people start doing stuff in the church, it becomes part of their identity. And when you try to, to remind them of that and you take that thing away, it's like you're taking away their identity. And then you have people who are very hurt for the wrong reasons, but they're hurt nonetheless. And so many times when I offer people, and make the offer to volunteer, I, I make sure that they know that, that if this should be removed from you, Will you be devastated? If you work with the children's church and that becomes your identity and then you're asked to be removed from there for whatever reason, just somebody else's turn or something, how hurt will you be? If your identity is found in Christ, you will go from one to the other. You're like, yeah, praise God. But if your identity is found in children's church or worship leader or pastor, you're gonna have a hard time when that's taken away from you. So where is your identity? Is your identity in being male or female? We look around the room. We're divided into two groups. There is male and female. But Paul says even, even that being your identity is, is in Jesus. It all comes underneath being a child of God. Your femininity, femininity or your masculinity, they fall underneath your first identity, child of God. If you're a daughter of God, praise God. If you're a son of God, praise God. They come underneath that identity. Let's stand.
I want to make an invitation and an appeal to you today. I don't think many people become Christians at the end of a gun. You know, it's not authentic. If I were to just attack you, you might become a Christian to shut me up. I wouldn't blame you. So I want to make an invitation to you. I do want there to be a sense of urgency. See, from my perspective, when I make an appeal for someone to become a Christian, it's like me on the outside, smoldering, crying out to somebody inside of a burning building, please get out of the building. Please take the escape route. Please take the escape ladder down the side. Get out of the burning building. Get out of that place in which you are now and come and be rescued by the Savior. Come be rescued by Jesus and by what he has done. So I make this appeal to you, whether you've been coming for decades or you've been coming for just a few visits, I appeal to you that today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that the Lord has made for you to come and know him. If maybe you've done this, but gosh, Pastor Tony, I've just fallen away. Then today's the day of your rededication. Today's the day where you give yourself back to Jesus all over again. You repent of the old life and you embrace the new one so that life from here on out will be so much better that, that the fold of God would, would grow because you have been added to it. That we would share in your joys and share in your mornings. That when you are sad, we're sad with you. But when you're happy, we're, when you're filled with joy, we're filled with joy too because we're family. So let's pray. Jesus, this side of the fence in your fold it seems crazy to be outside of that fence. But I remember what it was like to be outside of those gates and outside of that pen and what it was like to be fearful to cross that line, to become a Christian. I pray for those today, Lord, who need to make that decision to give their lives to you, Lord, to become one with Christ and one with the body and one with the church through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, I'm praying today would be that day that they would hear your voice and have faith in you and put their faith in you. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy that though we deserve hell, you've died on a cross so that we may never have to go there. And you not only remove the punishment, Lord, but you bring us in and embrace us with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just as a form of respect, intimacy, and privacy. Raise your hand if today's your day. First time rededication. Praise God. If today's that day, I would encourage you to come talk to me after service. Let's make sure that today is the day, the beginning. Pray with me again. Father, forgive me of my sins. Say these quietly to yourself. Say them out loud however you want. Father, forgive me of my sins. I repent of my old life and I place my faith in you. And I ask that you would keep me in your fold 
all the days of my life. I give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, I pray that you would be filled with much joy. I pray that this next week, in spite of all of its trials and hardships, whether you're going to work, you're working for yourself, you're unemployed, whatever the case may be, that this would be one of the best weeks of your life. I pray that this would be the best afternoon of your life because your identity has been changed. You're no longer this person who is a Christian. You are a child of God because of what Christ has done. You're a Christian because what Jesus has done for you. And nobody can take that away from you. No one can steal or take away that which is yours now. A good father doesn't lose his children, amen? And our father's a good father, amen? Rest in that truth today. Have a wonderful rest of your day. If you have prayer or need for anything, I'll be up here at the front. Come on up. Let me pray for you.